You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. The NBA playoffs are in full effect. Games are underway. Their teams are on the verge of getting swept. Their teams are on the verge of getting beat. So let's break it all down. To break it all down with me this week is my good friend from TotalSportsLive.com, my homie, Javon Alford. Javon, what's going on, brother? What's going on, man? I'm glad to be back on uh, back on the show. I remember the last time we did this, we were talking about Villanova, and yes. I feel like we didn't bring good omens to that show because yes, we we, well, we, our, we, worst, we our, our worst fear happened. <laughs> we, yes, we jinxed Villanova pretty much. We we pretty much uh, yeah, we put the whammy bammy on them dudes, man. It, yeah. it, it's sad. I don't even. <sighs> he's just he's just gonna come in and right off the bat, just open up old wounds. <laughs> but look, we're talking NBA playoffs. Let's start with let's start with the East. All right, the number one seed is the Boston Celtics, and they look to be having a lot of trouble with the Chicago Bulls. In your opinion, having watched them drop two games at home to the number eight seed, how much trouble is Boston in? I think Boston's in a lot of trouble, to be honest with you. I mean, the the first game you got to look at, the first game, you might say, okay, they lost the first game. That's okay. It's an anomaly, you know. They probably, you know, with everything Isaiah Thomas is dealing with, there's uh, a lot of factors. You're like, okay, you lose in game one, it, it, you can excuse that game. And we saw in that game they were out-rebounded, I think, 52 to 36, just outrage, outrageous uh, number by the Bulls to get 52 rebounds, but they did it. And Robin Lopez was a big factor in that game. Uh, Jimmy Butler had about 30, 33, I think, in that game. 15 in the uh, uh, 15 in the fourth quarter, I think. And then Bobby Portis off the bench had 19 and 9. So when you're getting all those factors, you're going to win game one. So then you're thinking, okay, maybe if Boston just cleans up what they do on the, on the rebounding end, then they can come back in game two and possibly, you know, split at home to just go to United Center and try to win game three. That did not happen at all because Boston, they just couldn't get it clicking on offense, and the shots weren't falling. And, again, the the unexpected heroes showed up for Boston. Robin Lopez, for some reason, the Celtics have not adjusted and decided, hey, maybe we should put a hand in Robin Lopez's face because they're just letting him – do whatever he wants on the offensive side of the ball and also getting rebounds. Boston has to be much better at rebounding. This is ridiculous. They paid out for five years, $113 million, and he hasn't been getting he hasn't been getting rebounds. That's a problem. So you got him going off in game two. And then playoff Rondo shows up, you know, for as much of a malcontent and, you know, headache he has supposedly been this season in, in, with the Bulls. Playoff Rondo shows up, almost drops a triple-double. Jimmy Butler is doing his thing. Vintage D. Wade shows up and starts banging three-pointers uh, like it's nothing. And you have now a 2-0 deficit. So I think if you're Boston, you definitely have to be concerned because you're not playing. You play, I want to say you played your best ball in game one. You just didn't rebound. Game two was like you just took a, a, total, a, a total step back. 
Now, game three, what are you going to do? Are you going to clean up what you did in game one or game two? Or are you just going to totally not follow your principles? And if that doesn't happen, if they don't follow the principles of what they've been doing all season, then you're they're going to be down 3-0, which and it's crazy because the last time we seen an 8 beat a 1 was back in 2012 when the Sixers beat the Bulls. That was beautiful. As a one seed. Ah, it was. Memories. That was a time. Ah, memories. Great. Sweet, sweet, sweet memories. But, but, <laughs> I'm sorry. See, when your team, when, when, when you're coming off a team winning, what, 28 games? When, when your team has won 38 games in the last two years, you know, th- these are things you, you, you think about. You think about playoff runs yeah, from five years ago. That, that's what you do. But let me let me ask you a question. All right, you know we we've talked about everything that has gone right for Chicago in this series. You know you got D Wade playing like the D Wade of old. You got Rondo playing like the Rondo of old. You got Jimmy Butler and you got Robin Lopez actually being the good Lopez brother. You know you got Robin Lopez actually playing like he's not Brooke Lopez's brother. Right, he's playing like Brooke. He's playing like Brooke, yes. You know, and, and, you know, he was always the other Lopez brother, but now he's he's actually out here balling, having a good series. So my question is, from what what you've seen in this series and what you know of Chicago, are these first two games an anomaly? I mean, can they keep this up coming as the series shifts back home to Chicago? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, 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 part of me wants to say that they that this is an anomaly, but then part, but then the other side of me says it is an anomaly because we see Boston this season. They played well in stretches, and then they go for a long stretch of the time where they don't play bad. And we saw, you know, you know, Rondo, Butler, and Wade speak out on things, and you just thought it was just all dysfunction. You thought, oh my God, Fred, Fred Hoiberg is going to get fired at the end of the year. And they're going to be moving on in a whole different direction. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't know if they're going to, you know, become the old bulls or are they going to keep it up. I know for one thing, I know we're still going to get great play from Jimmy Butler. I, I think we're still going to get whatever he does, whatever he did in game one and game two. I think we're going to get that for the rest of this series. But again, the key is going to be who else steps up. Will Robin Lopez continue to step up? If he does, then hey, Chicago got some. But it has to be someone else. Who's going to be that other X factor? Is it going to be Rondo again? Is it going to be Bobby Portis? Is it going to be Jerry and Grant? Uh, Meritage? Michael Carter Williams? Who is going to be that extra X factor to step up? And I think that's going to be the key for the rest of the series. Talking with Javon Alford from TotalSportsLive.com. Talking NBA playoffs. One one more quick question before we move on to the next series. Um, Mm -hmm. Boston's the number one seed. They're, you know, by, you know, with that, they're considered the best team in the Eastern Conference. They might not be the best team, but they're the number one team in this conference. Their star player is 5'9 in Isaiah Thomas. Is that just too small of a player to really depend, you know, to depend on? In the playoffs, is Isaiah Thomas too small for them to to really lean on like that? I won't say he's too small because this dude, he's 
he's he's he's a tough guy. He, he's tough. He's he's a tough player. He can get to the basket as well. He can knock down the jumpers when you need him. I just think Boston. I don't think, and this is no disrespect to him. I don't think he's a superstar. I think he's a good star. I think he needs. You know how we say, you know, in sports, every you know, every good, every great player, you know, has their Batman or Robin. You know, everybody has that guy, that second guy who they can go to or lean on the to, to bring that extra punch. And I think that's what Boston's missing. I think I said this to you a couple of days ago. Boston is only as good as some of their parts. They're they're almost like the 2000. Oh my God, the 2015 Atlanta Hawks. Remember when the Hawks were the number one seed? Yes. Yep. Back way back then, and mm-hmm. you know what was their what was their philosophy? It was about team basketball. It wasn't no one guy who can specifically say this guy he's go to, and we know who the ball's going to in crunch time. We know that with Boston, but who else do they have? Are you going to depend on offense from Avery Bradley, who was a defensive guy, but his offense is coming along? Al Horford, you were hoping to get something from offense from him, but uh, he hasn't shown up, which is weird. So you hope you hope that they can turn around with with um what's his, with Isaiah Thomas. But if not, I think that in this summer's draft, I think if they end up in the top three or even with the number one overall pick, they're going to have to address that and get a superstar playmaker to pair next to Isaiah Thomas because that's what he's missing. Because teams will, teams have been, you know, have been shutting them down. You know, every time he goes to the lane, they close them, they 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 shut down the lane. They shut where he can't penetrate, so he got to pass the ball out. They are making life tough for him, and his guys around him aren't helping him out. I, for me, I gotta, I have to be honest. I love this because I hate the Boston Celtics. I'm a basketball fan, and I hate the Boston Celtics. I have no problem admitting that I hate the Boston Celtics. I've hated the Boston Celtics since I was probably six years old. So, and it pains me. And it my it pains me because my hatred for the Boston Celtics has extended to the Brooklyn Nets because the fact that the Boston Celtics are the number one team in the Eastern Conference, and yet they could have the number one pick in the draft because the Brooklyn Nets are completely inept. Hey, and they're stupid. Yes, one. yes. Thanks, Billy King. You know because they made a stupid trade. The Nets are a stupid organization, and that's what they do. And because of that, a team like Boston, who you know, they are a good team, and they could be a team that could be good for a long time. And you just mm-hmm. gave them an opportunity to get a player that could possibly make them great. This is yep. almost back to, you know, this almost goes back to that year the Pistons won the championship but still had the number two pick in the draft. Now, the Pistons mm-hmm. screwed it all up because they had the number two pick in the same draft that LeBron and D-Wade and Carmelo and Chris Bosh all came out, and the Pistons decided they wanted Darko Milicic. But here, Boston has a chance to get it right. Yeah. But, you know, so this could be a pick that could, although Boston might have their flaws now, mm-hmm. could then, <laughs> this could be the answer to their problems. But I digress. Let's, let's, let's keep it moving. Another, uh, another series I want to, want to talk to you about Toronto versus Milwaukee on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Toronto got destroyed. 
Milwaukee straight up annihilated Toronto. Now, I understand Toronto is a third pick in the East. It's going to be third seed in the East. But a lot of people kind of fancy Toronto as one of those organizations, as one of those teams that could rival LeBron and the Cavs. I mean, a lot of us have just figured out and just kind of just given this conference to LeBron and the Cavs every year. But there are times, but every year, these critics, these experts, these pundits, whatever you want to call them, they, they pull out these teams that they feel could, could rival the Cavs and Toronto was one of them. And in three and in three games so far in two of them, they've looked completely out of it. And Milwaukee looks like the team that could be, you know, they look like they could be that that team that grabs that brass ring that goes up and competes with the Cavs, that top East Com- Eastern Conference top echelon team. Okay. And so, so my question: What the hell is wrong with Toronto? They're old. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. They old. They can't keep up with the young bucks. I mean, no pun intended on the words, but they can't keep they can't keep up with them. I mean, you know, and they're not they're not athletic enough. Yeah, sure, you have Kyle Lowry. That's great. Mm-hmm. Sure, you have Demar Derozan. He's athletic, but come on, that's that's Demar that's Demar mid range Derozan. He's not. He's staying inside the three point line. Mm-hmm. He's not doing that on outside of the three point line. Okay, so you got that. You got Demari Carroll who. A couple years ago, everybody was saying, you know, this is a good, this is a good three and D guy. You know, he's one of the premier three and D guys at the small forward position. He hasn't been that guy ever since he was ever since he got injured. He hasn't been that guy. And then they go and make a trade for you know Serge Ibaka, and okay, that's a good trade. It's an excellent trade because you get a guy who's a stretch four who can who can stretch the floor. But remember, they got him before the deadline, so maybe there's still chemistry and how can we integrate this guy in to make it a perfect fit. Then you got Valentinus, who you know is just an just another center. He's nothing great. Yeah, he'll get you some boards and some points. But that's about it. He's nothing great. And then the bench is okay, but nothing great at great as well. And I just think as an overall, they just can't keep up with these guys. Jason Kidd is kind of bringing the how can I say this? He's bringing the new age of basketball. To 2017, I mean, he has he has a guy in Son Maker. Remember, remember the Bucks drafted him at 10, and everybody was criticizing the Bucks for why did you draft this kid? Why did you draft him? Where are you going to play him at? What is his position? He's playing playoff minutes, starters playoff minutes at center right now as a rookie. You got a guy in Giannis, in, in Giannis who he's going to be a superstar. He's going to be a superstar, and he got paid like one before the season started. And he's going to be a superstar, and just everybody else they have. And this is without and, and John. This is this is even without Jabari Parker. That's the scary part. Yeah, that scares me too. It's like just in the same vein of Boston being the number one seed in this conference, and mm-hmm. could possibly walk away from the season with the number one pick in the draft. The fact that Milwaukee is doing what they're doing. And Jabari Parker is not there. You still have Jabari Parker, but let me mm-hmm. let, let me ask you this because the Bucks are kind of interesting. 
Jason Kidd, in his young coaching career, this is now his second stop. And he started out in Brooklyn. And he, he left with a lot of credit. You know, people thought he was in over his head because he walked away from the game and went right into head coaching. He wasn't an assistant coach. He didn't, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't pay his dues, cut his teeth, what, you know, whatever you say coaches need to do. He just came in, hung up the shorts, became a coach. And his first stop, it didn't end well. You know, he he had, it, it didn't end well. But now he's out there in Milwaukee and he's got a squad. You know, you talk about what he's done with Don Maker. You talk about the Greek freak. And you add to the fact that they still have Jabari Parker coming back next year. Can, uh-huh. Like, what kind of – I mean, why Why is Jason Kidd's name not mentioned more in Coach of the Year conversation? You hear Mike D'Antoni. You know, you hear other names. But Jason Kidd belongs in the conversation, right? Yeah, he definitely belongs in the conversation, and I think a lot of people haven't put, aren't put him in that conversation. Is like what you said, based on his first stop in Brooklyn. He, like you said, he didn't cut his teeth. You know, he didn't he didn't go through the ranks. He didn't go through the ringer. He didn't do none of that. He just totally just went off the floor and became a head coach and was trying to coach guys who were pretty much his teammates. They were all around the same age. So they're probably looking like, yeah, why not listen to you when you just finished playing? And now he went to a situation in Milwaukee where. You know, people might call it a power play or whatever, where he went to a place in Milwaukee where they allowed him to not only be the head coach, but also allow him, I think, to make personnel decisions as well, to be a part of that process. And we see what kind of mind that he has in coaching and with the personnel moves is that, you know, he puts his best players out on the floor and allows them to do what they do best. And they also... He also plays positionless. He has he has players on there that, that are positionless players, which means you can put them anywhere on the floor. I mean, he was the guy that introduced us last year to point the the point guard Greek freak. Remember, he he moved him to the point guard last year when Michael Carter Williams was 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 failing. He said we're going to put him near at the point guard and get the ball in this dude's hands because he's easy. He's like this is my best player. I need to have the ball in his hand often, and that has worked out. And I think he should be in discussion because he's doing this without Jabari Parker, who was just having a great season as, as, as Giannis or even better. And what he's doing with that, I mean, look how, look how, look what he's doing with Malcolm Brockman, who's a second round pick and possibly rookie of the year. No, he's had not. him playing, playing no, big minutes as well. He's, no, he's, I'm just he's saying not, potential, he's not the rookie. Potential, hey, potential, hey, I, 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 I'll hang up on you right now, man. This is still a Philly broadcast, buddy. Every, everybody knows my pick. Everybody knows my pick for rookie of the year. Who's it's your Dario. pick? Say it again. It's Dario. Say it it's one Dario. more time. It's Dario. One more time. Say that one more time. Dario Sarge is my rookie of the year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Getting back to getting getting back to the playoffs. Real quick. Let's 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 keep it moving though. Uh, talked about Toronto, Milwaukee. Talked about Boston and Chicago. Still, you also got the Wizards and Atlanta. Yep. <sighs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness! If there is, if there, and we'll we'll get into a little bit more of this in a minute. But there are two series in the playoffs that I absolutely, positively do not care about. That is, in fact, it's the same matchup in both. It's the four-five matchup. I do not care about uh-huh. the Wizards in Atlanta, and I do not care about the Clippers and the Jazz. Uh-huh. 
one single what? solitary bit. But the Wizards in Atlanta, Atlanta, who was one who, as we said before, a couple years ago was a number one uh, number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Now they're the number five. They got Dwight Howard. Now, real quick, I need to shout out my man Kareem. My man Kareem Streets, one of my, my, my best friends, my barber. There was a couple of years ago when Dwight Howard was still in Orlando and he wanted out. And I was sitting there saying the Sixers need to do whatever they can to get Dwight Howard. We need Dwight Howard in a Sixers uniform. And Kareem said to me while he was cutting my hair, said, dog, Dwight Howard is garbage. He's mm-hmm. terrible, and you don't want anything to do with him. I don't want him anywhere hey. near this team. I'm like, what, are you crazy? This dude's a, a freak of nature. You know, he'll get you double-doubles, man. He could be the greatest center. What are you talking about? I was like, dude, just watch. Fast forward a couple years later, every time I see Kareem and Dwight Howard's name comes up, I have to admit to him. I'm like, dude, you were absolutely right. You were right. right. I was wrong. Dwight Howard is a bum. Dwight Howard is an absolute bum. And his bumness is contagious. It spreads to the teams he plays for. You look. This man is like it's like he has a severe case of bum juice and it just it permeates whatever team he's with. And it's like look at it from from that last time Orlando went to the finals. And you see what has happened to Dwight Howard led teams since then. The Lakers. Sure. The Rockets. Now and the Rockets got better. The Rockets got better, but when they get better, when Dwight Howard they left, rid of them. <laughs> when Dwight Howard was no longer on the team, when they no longer had to look around that locker room and see Dwight Howard, what happened? They're like, we might as well just get better. Mm-hmm. And now you look at the Atlanta Hawks. They look like a bunch of also rans who are about to get swept off out the you know out the playoffs by the Wizards. Now, my question to you is, is this a case of the Wizards being that good and Atlanta being that bad? Or, or, is, or is, you know, something else at play here? No, I, I think it, I think it's the first thing you said. I think it's a case of the Wizards are that good. And I just think that the Hawks are that bad. They are the, they go back to what they used to be when they had the Joe Johnson, Joe Smith, Mike Bibby year, which were they were the perennial number five seed. They were the standard, and they still are the standard of mediocrity. They have been in this spot for years, and that's what it is. They don't have no star player. They move Jeff Teague, and they bring in Dwight for a two-year uh, with an outrageous deal, and they got him big bucks. You know, they paid Kent Bazemore big bucks, but who else did they really have? Dennis Schroeder was there, but they're not that good of a team. They're, they're missing a lot of pieces there. And I think they need to go full rebuild instead of trying to do patchwork job. But I just think that the Withers are just that good of a team. They need to get more respect, in my opinion, because I think this is a very well-coached team. I think Scott Brooks has done a tremendous job as head coach, and he's gotten something out of this Withers team that Randy Whitman couldn't get out this same team last year. Mm-hmm. 
So something else that we, we kind of discussed before we got on the air with the show is we talked about teams that were supposed to rival the Cavs. And I talked about Boston and Toronto being the primary ones. But in your opinion, you think the Wizards are that team. Am I right? Correct. Why is that? I believe that because out of those three teams, yeah, Boston's played them hard. Uh, Toronto has played them hard. Look at last year, seriously, they played them hard. But this season, Washington has played them the hardest. I mean, they had that ridiculous double overtime game earlier this season where it was like 140 to 135 or whatever, some kind of ridiculous score like that. And uh, Cleveland had one, but then Washington came back late in the season in a game that was a game that was important for playoff season and came back and 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 beat the um and beat the Cavs and they went on a very good stretch of uh, of playing good basketball and I think I think I think they're tough they they don't take they don't take nothing from nobody and I like that they're mentally tough and I think just matchup wise they really match up really well at point guard you got John Wall Kyrie Irving. I know, I know. People might say Kyrie can play defense, but I don't know how well he's going to be able to stay in front of John Wall. That's just my opinion. In this season, Kyrie hasn't played that well against Washington this year alone. Um, and then you look at the shooting guards. There, you know, Bradley Bill. He's helping, doing something. Small forward, Otto Porter, LeBron. That's a wash. Obviously, LeBron's better than Porter, but Porter can stay with him, keep him in front at least. And then you look at the power forward position. You got Kevin Love, Marcus, Markeith Moore. And Morris, he can he can actually go out there and defend Kevin Love by, beyond the three point line, which is something that a lot of teams can't do. Uh, he can do it, and then center is a wash with Gortat and Thompson, and then bench wash. Just how they heat, like just how like the Cavs are packing heat off the bench. So is uh so is the Wizards. They have you know Brandon Jennings, who they picked up. They got uh, Bogdanovich, who they picked up at the NBA trade deadline. And they got some other pieces too, Kelly Oubre, you know, other pieces of that nature where I think they can compete with the Cavs and give them a good seven-game series. So, that's, I mean, we're, we're going to see that. I, I really do. I think that might be the – that'll probably be the best series in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked around the issue. Now, let's, let's, let's jump into that series in itself. Let's talk about the Cavs <laughs> and the Pacers. On Thursday, LeBron James led a 26-point comeback to take a 3-0 lead against the Pacers. Now, after every game, Paul George has picked a a target to criticize. Hasn't really picked himself yet, but, you know, it is what it is. But, I mean, the Pacers are just falling apart, right? It just seems like they're just falling apart as a team. Yeah, they're falling apart, man. I just uh, they're 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 just not that good. They're not that good of a team. And if I'm Paul George. You, you yeah. after the way how game one ended, that was frustrating. Then to see how game two played out, that wasn't that frustrating. Game one, but then to see how last night played out, frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. When you get 36 from Paul George, they're knocking down three pointers. But then in, in the second second half, they just have these total defensive lapses where they're not closing out on shooters. They're not closing out on shooters. 
we know one thing about the Cavaliers. They have kind of transformed themselves into the pseudo-Golden State, Golden State Warriors, which is we're just going to shoot the three. That is, and I don't understand why Cleveland has decided to do that, but hey, that's the prerogative, whatever. They want they want to start shooting three, so you got to be able to close out on these shooters. They ain't got Kyle Cook, J.R. Smith, Channing Frost, even Darren Williams is knocking down three-pointers. Come on now. Darren Williams is cooking you in the playoffs, knocking down three-pointers. Hey, come on. Darren Williams is like 87 that. years old. I hear that's what I'm putting saying. work on these dudes, man. That's that's, that's what you what know. And for me, it's like just like I said before, you know, I feel like this the Eastern Conference belongs to the Cavs. I'm not one who buys into all this talk that the Torontos and the Bostons or even the Wizards are able to hang with the Cavs right now. So for me, proof of that is when you can see a guy like Deron Williams find the fountain of youth to a point where you're 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 coming back from 26 points down. And you look at that game because mm-hmm. I told you we got a little late start on recording this podcast today because I'm sitting here arguing with LeBron haters on Facebook. And this dude wants to sit here and tell me about how LeBron's not clutch and LeBron's not a killer. He's not a killer like Michael Jordan and Kobe was. And I'm like, did you watch that game? They came back from 26 points down and through most of that comeback, Kyrie and Kevin Love were on the bench. You know, you out here with Shumpert and Williams and Corver coming back. That's a killer right there. That's a guy willing his bench players and his role players to make a comeback against a good team. Yes, the Pacers are falling apart. We know that the Pacers are falling apart. We know that the the Pacers are a flawed organization. They're a flawed team. They're not what they used to be, but that's still a playoff team. That's, you know, they're no pushovers. They're not scrubs. So for them to come up, you know, against the, you know, against the Pacers and come back like that, that speaks to LeBron. That speaks to LeBron's greatness, how great LeBron is. And... For me, it's like, all right, you know, it's just, it. I don't need much more convincing. I know that, you know, I don't care who's the number one seed. The best team in the East is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're going to win the East. They're going to represent the East in the NBA Finals. I'm not saying that the LeBron that LeBron and the Cavs are going to win the Finals, but I know they're going to win the East. And last night was just another proof of why they're that good in my opinion you know in my opinion I can't disagree with you there I can't disagree (laughs) and we are still here with Javon Alford of totalsportslive.com we do have breaking news as we are coming down to the end of this segment of the podcast Jovan, we just found out that after all we said about Boston and Chicago and how D-Wade has been playing out of his mind, Jimmy Butler, of course, playing out of his mind, and Ray, Rajon Rondo p- 
you know, coming back to the Rondo of old, we now find out that Rondo is out indefinitely with a thumb injury. That just coming down uh, pretty much Friday morning. Uh, how does this change this series in your mind? This changes the series a lot. I mean, we saw the impact that Rondo had in game two and how he really stabilized the point guard position and was really setting up his teammates, putting them in the best position to succeed. And he was not only doing it on in the, in the, in the assist department, he was also getting the job done, rebounding the basketball and scoring. He was showing he was knocking down the floaters and he was making that Celtics defense come in a little bit inside the paint. So losing him is a big loss because what he brings, you can't get that from the likes of a Jerry and Grant or even a Michael Carter Williams. I think we were all looking forward to seeing, you know, playoff Rajon Rondo, but we don't get to see that no more. Now we're looking at playoff Jerry and Grant and playoff MCW. Yeah, that 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 doesn't even have the same ring to it. I, I mean, so sounds kind of creepy. It does sound kind of creepy. Like, what is playoff MCW? Do either do either of those guys even have playoff experience? I don't even I don't even think they do. I don't think either of those guys have played in the playoffs. Maybe MCW with the Bucks. Maybe, maybe. I think. yeah. I don't know. I'm not a betting man. I wouldn't bet on. Yeah, I, I I don't know, but I mean this is a huge blow for the Bulls. But mm-hmm. what does it say about the Celtics? That they, because now, I mean, all of a sudden the Celtics are, not, are right back in it. The Celtics have to be looking at this point, at this now, like, hey, you know what? Here's our opportunity to get back into this series. So my question to you is, what does it say about the Celtics that this is the break that they needed to turn this series around? When you're the number one team in a conference and you need a major injury to the other team's key player, to get back into this uh, series? What does it say about them? It says for the Celtics, I mean, if I'm them, I'm attacking I'm attacking the point guard. I'm, I'm attacking whoever's playing that point guard for the Bulls. I'm attacking Jerry and Grant. I'm attacking Michael Carter-Williams. I'm letting Isaiah Thomas do what he has to do. If I'm Marcus Smart, I'm not going to settle for a jump shot. I'm going to try to drive into the paint. And try to get it, and try and try to get some easy, some easy points that way through the free throw line. And then on the offense, and then on the defensive side of Boston, you know, you don't really have to. Not, not saying that when Ronald's playing, you had to put a certain amount of defensive attention towards him. But with guys like Jerry and Grant and Mike Carter Williams, especially Mike Carter Williams, who cannot really shoot, you do not have to commit that much to him on the defensive side of the ball. So now you can now draw your attention to. Dwayne Wade or Jimmy Butler or a guy like Meritage or Meritage who can who can stretch the stretch the floor or even a guy like Paul Zipster because I got to think now Zipster Zipster is going to get more minutes now without Rondo and we've seen him in the rotation in the first few games of this series so I think offensively this is Celtics time to now attack attack whoever's playing point guard and then on the defensive side they don't have to put that much attention on whoever's playing point guard for the Bulls when you're trying to sell the Boston Celtics as a legitimate contender and a legitimate challenge to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think it says a lot about the team as currently constructed that they needed a huge injury on the other team 
to really present them with a chance to get back into it. So for me, it it just further solidifies the fact that I'm I don't think that Boston is there just yet. But I'm going to sit back now and watch this series play out as Boston has their opportunity to jump back into this series. You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. Listen to this show in its entirety every Saturday at 8 a.m. on the Philly Gold Flow.